Well, last week we left off in Acts <clears throat> chapter 21. We, we left off with a, a cliffhanger, if you will. Um, so let me do a quick little review. Um, just like cliffhangers do, you know, remember the old Batman? That they leave you like Batman's about to die or Robin or something like that. And then they just kind of bring you back to that very moment. That's what I want to do right now. So most, if not all that the Lord had revealed to Paul has now come to pass. He, he saw or we saw that Paul and his traveling companions had made it all the way to their destination. And that is in Jerusalem, uh, the, the meeting with the church leaders had gone, uh, gone well, even though there was concerns that came from those who were zealous for the law. Paul didn't think it was a big deal to, to accommodate those who were still kind of leaning towards the law and keeping the law. And so because of the accommodating that he did uh, with them, with those four young uh, brethren, brothers, being in and out of the temple, the Jews from Asia who had been there for Pentecost stirred everything up. And so in turn, uh, they were stirred up and then they riled up the crowd and then they made accusations that Paul had allowed some of these Gentiles to come into the temple and now they're all seeing red. And so if you remember right at the end towards there, man, he, Paul was seized, he was dragged. Uh, they dragged him out of the temple. They started beating him uh, to kill him. So everything's coming along as planned for Paul, basically. Now, some would think that this all happened to Paul because he kind of compromised with, you know, doing these ritual things. But I don't, I don't see it that way. What I see is that God is using everything in this situation to, to get the ball rolling in what he had already revealed to Paul. Paul had a desire to go to Rome. This was part of that plan to get him to Rome. None of this was a surprise to Paul because he knew in whom he believed in and was persuaded that God was able to keep what he, Paul, had committed to him. And so I truly believe that none of this rattled him. But I love the wisdom that he uses, and we're going to see that throughout this portion of scripture, but I want to read to you something that Jesus told his disciples back in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. You can turn there if you'd like, but, but from right there, we're going to jump right back here to our text. But this is what Jesus told his disciples right before he, he'd be leaving before, you know, all of this. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given you that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the, father, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 
And so this is what Jesus encouraged his disciples, what would be happening in their lives as they testified of who he is and, and the things about Jesus. And so it brings us to our text. We're here in chapter 22. We're going to cover from verse 1 to verse 16 this morning, but I want to read verse 40 and lead right into verse 1. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was great, a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they had heard, and when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. I persecuted this way, to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to, uh, to be punished. Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus about at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and, and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord." Going back to the beginning of the verse here where he, 
He begins to, to, to speak to the people after getting their attention, basically. And he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. What I found interesting, even as I'm studying this portion and understanding what has gone on in the past in the book of Acts, it's interesting that, that Paul began his speech here the very same way that Stephen, the first martyr, started off his speech, of which Paul, this Paul, who was then Saul back in the day, was there to hear. Now, whether he realized that or not, I, I, I really don't know. But, but maybe that's just the way people started off speeches when they had a crowd, that, that they would say, brethren and fathers. Speaking to these Jewish people, so maybe that's, that's just the way they, they started. But I just found it ironic because here we have Paul who consented to Stephen's death. He was there when he heard this man give the speech. Whether he heard him or not, subconsciously that was there. And I could imagine him now being in this particular place and starting off like that and maybe having the voice of Stephen ringing in his ears back in the, in the back of his head because that's the way it started off. And so I just find, found it ironic that now the shoe is on the other foot. <laughs> and Paul is in that position of, of having to speak to these people who want to kill him. And so he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. The Apostle Paul now has the opportunity to address the charges that have been brought against him. They wanted to kill him before he gave any defense, any kind of excuse of why he was doing what he was doing while he was there in Jerusalem. But now he has the chance. And this is why I believe none of this rattled him. None of this moved him. Because when he had the opportunity, after kind of getting beat up and stuff, trying to get the words out, <laughs> now that he has this opportunity, he's going to take it doesn't matter what's happened to him just he's not crying injustice he's not crying it for anything except let me tell you what's going on <laughs> let me give you my defense the charges were that he taught all men all people as we looked at last week in verse 28 that he charged they were charging him that he taught er all men everywhere against the Jews against his own people he he was being charged that he taught all men against the law and against the very temple that they had seen him in and seized him at again i've shared with you i i i i believe paul touched on all those matters, but he never made the claim that you couldn't go do these things. Paul is in the midst of it. Why would he tell somebody, don't do it, if he's still involved in certain rituals in the Jewish culture? The word defense here in the Greek is the word apologia. That is where we get our word apologetics from, which has to do with the defense of the gospel. It does not mean saying, I'm sorry for the gospel. We never apologize for the gospel. 
We never say, well, I'm so sorry, but i, I got to share the gospel with you. We don't do that. We defend the gospel. And that's the word apologia. So when you hear apologetics that are being preached or shared, you're not going, are these guys saying I'm sorry about the gospel? It's like, no, no, no. They are defending the gospel and what it says. It means, this word apologia means a plea, apology. Answer for self. Clearing of self, defense, verbal defense, speech in defense. And so it's defending this, the gospel. And that's what he is doing now. Let me share with you my defense before you. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. This is now the second time that we are told that Paul addressed the crowd in the Hebrew language. We saw that in verse 40. Again, it's just kind of reiterating it. But but for us, in reading here, we hear that he is speaking in the Hebrew language. He is addressing the crowd, which was the native language of the Hebrews, the Palestinian Jews. And because of that, because he began to speak it in that way, it caught their attention. Some of you who are bilingual, you could understand this, that that maybe you're around people and you're speaking Spanish and then you know that they speak a, a different language and you speak it also. As soon as you begin to speak in their language, their, their attention is, is, is alert. Whatever language you speak, even if you just know a phrase, like my wife, she, she knows how to introduce herself in Japanese. So when she hears that somebody's Japanese, she introduces herself in Japanese, and they, their eyes light up. And it's like, oh, and they, she goes, no, 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 that's all I know. <laughs> Except for Toyota and Nissan and all that. No, she doesn't do that. But she does, it, she does it so good that it catches their attention that quick. So you could imagine these people hearing the Hebrew language. Paul had been speaking Greek, as we learned last week. The guy thought he was an Egyptian, but he's speaking Greek. He goes, you speak Greek? And so Paul could have probably continued to speak to the crowd in Greek. That was the common language of of the known world. So if he would have continued to speak in Greek, most, if not all of them, would have understood him. And here's the wisdom that God is giving Paul. He begins to speak in their tongue. In their language. And he captures their attention. And so it's to be noted that he spoke in the Aramaic language. Which is the language of the day. Which was the language of the day for the Jewish people. So it had become well known. or, Or yeah, it had become known as the Hebrew language. And so as he begins to say what he is about to say, he starts off by saying, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I was brought up in this very city 
under the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of the fathers, of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. And he will continue in that, in that mindset, right? So here's the wisdom that he catches their attention by finding common ground with the people. They just wanted to kill him a few minutes earlier. They had been beating this guy. Now they're going like, huh, let's hear what this guy has to say. He found this common ground with the people by starting off by saying, I indeed am a Jew. Now, finding common ground doesn't always happen when, when you're talking to people. It sometimes, though, does take time and some work to get there to find common ground. I don't know if you do this when you're talking to people. I don't know if you're the type that, man, you're always looking for the angle of how to relate to people. I do that all the time. I try to. I want to find out what people are in and genuinely find out. Not just like, yeah, 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 tell me who you are so I can uh, like throw my Jesus at you. I really want to know people. And it never ever fails that in finding people and, and finding interest with them, you end up being able to share some stuff with them because you find a common ground somehow. Again, that it would never be forced. Oh, yeah, 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 I've done that. You've never done it. Don't do that. Don't, don't lie in trying to find common ground. If you don't have common ground, that's That's okay. But more often than not, you're going to find something. And sometimes it takes time and sometimes it takes work. But if you find that common ground and it is appropriate, then use it. Use the wisdom that God has given you to, to kind of draw them into who you are too. Being genuinely interested in who they are. Don't be a phony. <laughs> Paul is about, what he's about to do here is share his testimony. Now, a testimony means that you are testifying about something that you know about. You are giving proof, you are giving evidence of what has occurred because you have witnessed it for yourself. It's like being called to the witness stand in the court of law and having to give an account of what you have seen and what you have heard. And you're able to give an account because you know it's true. You saw it with your own eyes. You heard it with your own ears. Now, you can share a testimony on behalf of someone else because you know what has happened to them. You were an eyewitness, if you will. You've, you've been around them to know that this has happened in their life. Again, in a court of law, you witnessed it with your own eyes. Give the best recollection you possibly can. Because it seems like what you saw and heard lines up with the evidence that is being shared. One of the most powerful tools, I believe, that you and I as believers have is our own testimony. 
You might not know chapters and verses, but you have your life, your testimony to share. You, you know that because it's happened in your life. You're able to bear witness of and give account of what has occurred in regards to how God changed you. Now, I would say that every believer, every believer has a testimony. If they have truly been changed by God, there's, there's a testimony. There, you can testify that one day you were this and next day you were that. And maybe it was a matter of time, but from, from this time to this, this time, you were one person, now you're another person. You understand that. You believe it because it's happened to you. There's evidence in your life that you were not walking that way no more. You're walking in that particular way now. And nobody can take that testimony away from you. They can't refute it. Well, I guess they could, but it doesn't change the fact that you have been changed. Because some testimonies are so unbelievable, they're going, eh, I don't think that happened. That's why you should never embellish. <laughs> but some people, I mean, they are truly like, are you kidding me? That truly happened? It's like, yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, that's your testimony, it's not my testimony. And, and, and again, I know that there's some people going, well, I don't know if I do have a testimony because I don't remember all of it. That, that's okay. Your testimony is, it's, it's always been like this <laughs> as far as I can remember. But you have, a you have something to share. And one of the most powerful testimonies besides the testimony that we have of Jesus that is written here is that of the Apostle Paul. His testimony is a very, very powerful testimony. And throughout Christian history, it's one of those testimonies that is often gone to because we, we have records of who he was and, and, and who he is now. And it's, it's recorded throughout the book of Acts. So it is a very powerful testimony. And we could look to his testimony and, and say, look at what God can do in the life of someone. And then you can share maybe how God has changed you. But, but it is a very, very powerful testimony of what he, who he was and what God has done and what he has become. Again, it's very, very well documented and it's hard to refute. It is history. But that should never take away from your testimony. Because yours is just as important as Paul's. This is a powerful one, don't get me wrong, but yours is just as powerful. We can use Paul's testimony to minister to people, but that's his testimony. What's your testimony? Yours is yours, his is his. And we all have a testimony, we all have a, a, a story to share. And, and I, I would encourage you, use it as often as you possibly can. That it would always be fresh. Whenever you have the opportunity, share your testimony with people. Because it happened to you. It's real. Again, you might not be a scholar. You might not be one who studies. You might not have all of this down pat. 
But you know what you do have, Pat, is your own life. You might not like your testimony because of the, the ugliness or whatever it was, but it's your testimony. And there are people who would be interested in hearing, how did God change you? Paul begins to share his testimony with us and in this text by giving us and sharing with us his credentials, if you will. He shares this with the crowd. And there was no way that they couldn't hear. Not, as he began, they're probably going like, what? Who? It's almost like, man, with a resume like that, with a pedigree like that, it was almost hard to turn away. It's like, I need to hear a little bit more of what God has done in your life. And he begins by saying, I am a Jew. I am a native of Tarsus. I was brought up in this place, in this city, under the, the, the training and schooling of Gamaliel, who was one of the most prestigious rabbis of the time. Paul was a devout follower of the law because of his studying. He was zealous, it tells us in verse 4, he was zealous basically in persecuting the church the way. And he represented the Sanhedrin, the council. Paul shared these things a few times throughout his, 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 his ministry. I'm, I'm sure a lot of times. But he wrote this to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4 to verse 6. He says, though I, might, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that they have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuted the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So again, he kind of get. yes, he is kind of boasting because he tells us here. If you think you have a story, my story is better. I'll one-up you. And, and I don't think he's being arrogant about it. I think he's just showing, no, really, this is where I come from. And yet, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3, uh, 13 to 14, he also shares this. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So when he says here, again, I'm a Jew, I was born here, I was raised here, I sat under this guy, I, I, I was under the law in in whatever stretch of the word is that means strictness, I was that. Zeal? Let me tell you about zeal. I was zealous towards God. As you are today. I love that. You see, instead of Paul coming against them for their actions, he, in a sense, commends them for their actions. He commends them for being zealous towards God. 
And he says that because he understood how zealous he used to be in that sense, in regards to the law. He uses it for his advantage. In other words, I, am the sa- I was the same way as you are. Again, we need to understand where he is coming from. In other words, he can identify with them. And this is where he finds this common ground with the people that he is sharing with. And he is going to use it for his advantage. So again, instead of condemning them and just stopping the conversation right there and then. Can't believe you guys were trying to kill me because you're, you're zealous. You're idiots. That zealousness will, 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 will have you kill people, man. He doesn't do that. He doesn't condemn them and stop the conversation. In, in essence, he commends them to try and keep the conversation going. Part, part of a testimony that we have is having to go back into history. Having to go back into your old life. And this is where a lot of people is like, well, I don't like to talk about my old life. Well, you don't have to stay there long. <laughs> Just remind people that you know where you came from. And I think oftentimes as Christians, because we don't like the world, we don't like what we, we, we used to do, we never even bring it up. And I understand that. But you could always use it for, your, for God's advantage. You can always show people where you've come from. And the moment that you forget where you've come from, your testimony, you you become higher and and better than everybody else. And that's why never forget where you came from. You don't have to live there, but it's part of your past. You can't destroy it. It is who you are. It's who you used to be. And so part of a testimony is recounting where you once were. And this is where you oftentimes find that common ground with other people because that's where they're at right now. And you can relate to them oftentimes. Now, even though you may not have had a similar background or culture or upbringing with those who you are talking to, we have this in common at least, that we were all lost. (laughs) And we were all headed in the same direction. Whichever your background, culture, or upbringing was, it was all leading right to the same place, hell. (laughs) We were all lost. With all the things that Paul shared of his background, culture, and upbringing, most of the crowd, if not all of the crowd, was able to identify with him. And he, and he was pretty open about where, where he came from and who he was and all the things that were associated with that. And so he gets to verse 6 and he says, Now it happened. Now it happened. With all that had happened up until this time in Paul's life, with all that had happened, all the much more that has transpired since he has gotten to Jerusalem. With all that has happened in the last few hours, that now he has this opportunity to speak to the crowd, it came to pass. Now it happened. Now he's moving on to a different part of his testimony. He is now going to get into the the conversion part of his testimony. 
how it took place and where it took place. But I love the fact that he springboards off the fact that he had received letters from the council of the elders, which was the Sanhedrin. Now, some believe he was part of the Sanhedrin. Others believe he just represented the Sanhedrin because he had letters from them to go to Damascus to bring these people back to Jerusalem to, to persecute them, to punish them. He must have done it in other places. These, these Sanhedrins, these leaders, they had confidence in Paul to go and do what they wanted to go do, but they didn't have the time. But they had this guy, and he was going, I'll go. I love that. I love persecuting the church. That's in my blood right now. I love it. I'll go do the, the religious duties, you know, of, of bringing them back in chains. This guy thrived on that. He really did. He was good at it. He, he was on his, the way to becoming one of the best Pharisees in the world. The guy, he, 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 he was above all these guys. He was an overachiever when it came to persecuting the church. He loved it. Now, I don't know if all of this was planned or not. But this is the beauty of this situation. And this is the beauty about your testimony. It's yours. You have it with you all the time. <laughs> you can always pull it out whenever you need to. Boom. You don't have to plan it. Oh, you might want to write it out if you're speaking in front of people so you're not going on and on and on and on and on and on and people's eyes are rolling back. <laughs> like I see some of you guys right now. No, not really. You should always have a testimony. My, my, my pastor, Pastor Larry, would always say, have a five-minute one, have a 15-minute one, have an, a half-hour one, have an hour one ready. What's the time? What time do I have? <laughs> How much can I share with you right now? And sometimes you just have five minutes, man. Boom. So I don't know if he, if he planned this or not, but he knew what his... His, his, his testimony was, and so he was ready to pull it out at any time. And I think he loved talking about it. Not because he loved living in the past, because he knew what had happened to him on that day. In other words, he had it prepared because it really doesn't change. Oh, there might be some different variations of it, but it is what it is. Paul is sharing his testimony with a group of unbelievers, and he knows that. And there is a difference when you're sharing your testimony with unbelievers than with believers. And this is where wisdom, once again, plays a huge role. There are things, I believe, that you could share with believers that you probably will not be sharing with unbelievers. And there are words that you use with believers that you may not be using with unbelievers because, believe it or not, most non-believers don't understand your Christianese. And you start using Christian language and they're going like, what the heck? Oh, yeah, man, I was saved from the foundation of the world. And they're going, what are you talking about, Willis? 
You weren't here. I know you're old, but you weren't here from the foundations. See, those are things that you can share with a believer, but a non-believer is going, I don't get it. I don't understand your lingo here. We, we, we need to be careful how we do that. Paul understands who he's talking to. There are a bu- bunch of religious people, but he was once there, so he could speak that language. Now, he might not be speaking the Christianese that he would be talking to the believers at a church. And so again, this is where wisdom comes in. How do we share? When do we share? To whom? Again, be able to speak to the non-believer where you were once at. Again, if somebody would have shared with me the day that I got saved about redemption and, and about, about you know, sanctification and propitiation and whatever, it's like, I don't want this because I can't understand it. But it was nice and simple to where I understood. I'm, I'm what, a sinner? Yeah, yeah, I know that part. Tell me something I don't know. What you don't know is that Jesus loves you and he died for your sin. What? You know, and, and so again, he simplified it. It's so crazy because I could take you to the moment in time. And Paul is going to do that. He takes them to that very moment and he gives them time schedule of what happened. Paul shares his testimony in this situation. And when it comes to the actual events, none of it changes. Oh, there might be little nuances there that he might put in there. But for the most part, this first section here of what happened doesn't change. He does tell us that it was more at at noon that it wasn't shared in chapter 9. Because in chapter 9, we have his whole story of what happened to him. We have it here, and he will share it one more time. But he shared this whenever he had the opportunity. Now, some of you, some of us can be very exact as to when it happened, where it happened. I could point you to that moment. I could tell you about what time. I could almost tell you the prayer and how I felt afterwards. Some people don't have that, and so they're going, well, mine, I don't have a good testimony. Because I don't remember it all. It's like, it's fine, but God changed you at one point. However it was, it might have been a process. But the actual event that what happened in Paul's life, he doesn't change. And I love the fact that when he's sharing with them here, he takes them step by step and he's drawing them into the story. And these people are all listening. And there's this crowd and he's telling them, well, it happened like this because I got permission from all some of you guys that are out there. (laughs) I got permission from you, if you remember. And he takes him step by step as he was going to Damascus at about noon. There was a light. He got knocked down. There was a voice. I heard it. I know what he said. I responded to it. I asked him, what do you want? And and, and I love the fact that, again, he even mentions Jesus of Nazareth. At that point, some of the people, because they've heard about this, at that point, man, he, took, he kind of took a chance there. They could have zoned out or checked out. But he continues to move forward as to what happened to him. And so understand that he's drawing them into this story. They still don't know the outcome. Oh, they, they, they assume, they have a sense that he is a believer, he's part of this way thing, but they don't know exactly how all that happened. And so he just keeps on drawing them in and drawing them in because he has their attention. 
And I love the fact that he uses wisdom to transition from what happened here to what happened right after. Okay, now I got to Damascus. And then he says in verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, he came to me. So he tells them, I couldn't, I couldn't see, so I was led to this place. And there was a certain Ananias. <laughs> I, I, I love the way he, he does it here because if you go back to chapter 9, the difference that we hear in chapter 9, verse 10, he says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. His name was Ananias. And to him, the Lord spoke to him and gave him a vision saying, and then he says, here am I, and then he tells him all the stuff that he was supposed to do. And so there's a, there's a difference and there's wisdom on his part here. Knowing his audience, he takes the Jewish point of view. Why? Because Ananias had come out of Judaism as well. And he says, there was a devout guy according to the law. Again, he's using something that they were both a part of. This guy, he loved the law. He was devoted to the law. And as far as his testimony, he was highly respected among all the Jews who lived there. And when he came to me, he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that same hour, I looked at him. That, that word brother used here for brother Saul reflects that same outcome that we saw back in verse 5 when he's talking about receiving letters to the brethren that he was going to take to the, brother, the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem about bringing these Christians back. And so he uses that word. He still calls his countrymen brethren. And I know that some people have a hard time that when you call someone who you don't know whether they're a Christian or not, if you call them, hey, brother, it's like, why would you call them brother? You don't even know if they are. It's not. It's like, came from the same neighborhood. Came from the same background. We were both lost. We were in the same family working for Satan. I don't know if you know that. So again, there, Paul is using some verbiage here that some people might take offense. Why would he call them brethren? They were his countrymen. And he's not afraid to call them his country. He still loved them. Again, Paul, he's using wisdom, understanding that he is not lying at all about Ananias. He's just using different verbiage to talk about Ananias. He used different words to describe everything about who this man was. And so it kept their attention. We hear more about Ananias and his background a little bit here in this chapter than we do in, the, in, the, in chapter 9. Again, they're just variations of a testimony, but it is the same testimony. Again, as I shared with you earlier, never embellish your testimony or add to it something that isn't there. There will always be variations, and that's okay, depending on who you are talking to. 
but never make more of it than is there. All because, well, that guy's testimony is a lot better than mine. I've heard people say, well, I don't have much of a testimony because it's not like so-and-so's. Your testimony doesn't have to be like so-and-so's. It doesn't have to be like anybody else's. Why? It's yours. And I think the most amazing testimonies that I've heard in my life are those that are that have less scars attached to them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they can make a movie and, a, and write a book about somebody's testimony. It's like, dang. They might not ever write one about me or you. Well, maybe about you, I don't know. But those who have less scars, man, sometimes you're going, you got through life not experiencing all this craziness? That's pretty powerful. All testimonies, they have a history. All testimonies have a conversion, but then they have a walk after that, if you're truly saved. They have a walk after that, and what happens after that is that you continue to add to that testimony as you continue to grow. There's different aspects that I could sit with you, talk about my life, not just of what happened where I was at at one point, at one time, but what happened that very day, November, uh, November 21st, 1979, at about 9.30 in the morning in Anaheim Hills or your Belinda. I could take you to that spot, basically. But what happened after that? Oh, my goodness. I was sitting with somebody on Thursday night. We were talking, and all of a sudden, he just like, what is your testimony? I was like, well, let me share it with you. I have five minutes. Let me share it with you. But what God has done afterwards is a testimony as well. And we see that in Paul's life. Some people love to spend so much time on their history. And sometimes it's necessary, but not to the point where you glorify those good old days. And you're almost longing, going, dang, but then I, then I accepted Jesus, and now it's boring. Well, it's boring because you're boring. Man, if you were that excited about Satan, man, you should be more excited about God and what he's done. We all get to share our history, but what happened in the conversion? What happened in the walk? If I may, as we close up here, I, I want to give you a quick timeline of Paul's life to give us a perspective of where Paul is at at this time in chapter 22 as he is sharing his testimony. I'm sure he had shared this many, many times, but we have it written here. Paul, as we know, was born a Jew in Tarsus at about 5 A.D. At 15 A.D., he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. So he was about 10 years old. From 10 to about 15, he, he, taught, he was taught under this amazing rabbi. And, and after 15, within the next 10 years, he became a Pharisee. And he was good at it. And he was growing in that. From about 33 AD to 34 AD, somewhere around there, is when he began to persecute the church full on. He was about 29 years old in the year of 
34 AD. And that is when he got converted. Paul was only 29 years old when he was on the road to Damascus to go persecute the church. Our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is about 52 years old right here. The year is at about 57 A.D. And he has been walking with the Lord for about 23 years up until this time. What a testimony. You see, he will die in about four years, five years. He's not done. <laughs> we, we, we don't know when we finish off this race. Many of you remember when you started the race. Right now, you're in the middle of the race. Do not be weary in doing good, <laughs> in what you've been called to do. It doesn't matter what your age is right now. God can still use your life to minister to someone else. There is someone out there, maybe within your own family, that wants to hear, how exactly did you come to Jesus, you Jesus freak? Because you've been preaching this for a whole long time, man. And to get excited, to say, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. And maybe there's some of you today here who have never shared your testimony. Pray. Pray. Ask God, Lord, put me in an awkward situation where I have to pull it out <laughs> and share with somebody how I got saved or what it was that, that brought me to that place. Pray for those opportunities. Again, never try to be not genuine. Always be genuine when you're listening to somebody else in their life, and saying, Lord, is there any way you can use my life to minister to them? Believe it or not, you got something to say. Believe it or not, people want to hear, how did you become a Christian? Because again, people are fascinated. We were praying yesterday, man, with all the craziness that's going on, and we had a leadership meeting last night, and we're praying for all those people who are just following the crowds. Lord, capture them. Bring us to people like that that are struggling. They're, they're looking to fit in somewhere. Can we be used anywhere like that? There's people who are scared. Maybe God can use us for His glory, one way or another, amen? amen? Father, we thank You for opportunities, Lord. I pray, God, for people right now, Lord God, who are here, who are watching this, who are thinking about this, realizing, Lord God, that may, maybe they've never shared even, even with those close to them, Lord, how they came to know you. And I pray for opportunities right now. I pray that you would put us in awkward situations even, Lord, to be able to share your word. Father, I pray for those who may be here, Lord God, who are kind of still building their testimony, if, if we can use that term, Lord. But I pray that even today would be the day that they meet up with you. Father, whether they're here or they're watching online, that Father, somehow, they would say, that's what I've needed. I've needed to hear that God can change me. And I pray, God, that you would in such a powerful way, Lord, 